Okay, uh, as if you may not have already guessed, if you turn in your Bible to Zechariah chapter 8. One thing about it, you'll be well versed at what this fast of feasting means. <laughs> uh, you see, that's the beauty of the Word of God. No matter how much the Lord has taught us, no matter how much meat He has shown us, it the Word of God, it, there's always more built upon that. And it, 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 just, keeps, it just keeps giving. And I, I'm so very grateful for that, more than, more than I can say. I, I feel like uh, that the Scripture, when David talks about how precious the Word is to him, I, I read that passage and I, I feel that, and I know you do too. So, we're here in Zechariah 8. Let us read um, verses 18 and 19. The word of the Lord of hosts came unto me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love the truth and peace. This morning, we want to look at cheerful feasts and what, what this really speaks to us in context with the other aspects of what God has said here. Uh, cheerful feasts is, is truly an amazing, an amazing term. Uh, and I, I want to talk a significant amount about what cheerful means, but let's just talk for a moment about what feast means here. Now, we have a seminar that's coming up in September called The Feast, and that is a different word translated as feast in the Old Testament. There, the feast uh, is hagag, which is built off the root word of holy or what we know saints are. This word feast is moed, and the word itself means an appointed time, but not just an appointed time, something that is of specific, uh, unique, ordained uh, in the, in the timetable of God. It, in fact, in, in the Old Testament Septuagint, the, the Greek translation by the 70 men that were appointed to take the Old Testament scriptures and then translate them into Greek so that the Hellenistic world where uh, the Jewish people had spread um, could, could have the scripture, um, they, they translate this word, translated as feast, as a, as a kairos, as a kairos event. And I think that's very interesting because we remember that a kairos moment is something that God has said in my timetable, I have earmarked this moment for something of particular note, of particular empowerment. And from that then you gain a harvest, a kainos harvest, which is the new wine, 
or the New Testament. And so recognizing a Kairos moment in God, and God has a lot of them, is part of his major timetable, but recognizing it, stepping into it, doing what you're supposed to do in it, then generates a harvest that we as Christians love. You carry around a Bible that has a New Testament. This is the New Testament in my blood shed for you. Uh, we speak about the new wine. That's all kinos that comes out of recognizing a kairos moment and functioning in it. People who miss, it could be argued that people who miss the kairos moment, you're not paying attention or you, you're just sleeping through it or, you know, let somebody else do it. You know, I just am doing this old thing. I don't want any kairos moment. What's wrong with the old moment? I remember the kairos moment from 30 years ago. That's good enough for me. I still have Cairo stains on the altar from when it first came. You know, we used to hear that. What's wrong with the old? Well, you build. You, you, you either keep living or you start dying. And you build off of, of the foundation of what God has given you. God is always moving forward in grace. And so if you don't pay attention to when God is giving you a Kairos moment, you will likely miss the Kainos harvest and you will not be functioning in the new wine. That's just the way the Holy Spirit, that divine author, wrote this stuff. It's not some newfangled thing that I dreamt up to, to convict people. This is what God's ways are. So how will you know a Kairos moment? Well, for one thing, you commit yourself to the timetable of God. That's, that's first of all. You recognize that he's in control, and you stay close to him. You say, Father, I want what your will has ordained to be done. I want to walk with you and partner with you in this journey. And, and you know, I don't want to miss any opportunity to serve you and to do what you say to do prophetically. That's the way you prepare yourself for a Kairos moment. Because if you're not really walking with God, if you're asleep in the back seat, uh, or if you're in a cart hoping that uh, a bump in the road didn't dislodge you, you know, uh, if you're not walking with God, sincerely seeking him, doing what he says to do, you probably are going to miss a moment and you'll be like Jacob. Certainly the Lord was in this place and I knew it not. I don't want to be that way, do you? That, that to me, that would be a horrific thing to miss the moment and uh, we, we want to be with God so that we can serve him. But the kairos is, is a meticulous thing. And then see how that links together with what we shared this past Wednesday about the saison coming first, that God is saying this is a messianic moment. The joy and gladness has now come to a realization, and you need to prepare yourself to function in that accordingly. Because it is a feast. It is a kairos moment that God has ordained. And we're in one of those times. We're already seeing it. I, I'm, amazed at, you know, I'm amazed at the wonder, and I appreciated so much Dennis's commentary this morning in Sunday school about how we have to always remember that it is the power of God. But for whatever reason, he chooses to manifest it 
through us. <laughs> God is just so good to us. We obey him, we follow him, we do what he says, and then we let God move. We, we step out of the way and we say, God, you move. And, and, and the key thing is to understand that it is him that's moving. But that doesn't mean that we don't enjoy every second of it. And we don't say, thank you, God. And we, we, can you imagine what it must have been like for those 120 that stuck it out and were in that, in that Pentecost upper room and they were offering supplication when a lot of their brothers and sisters had veered off and gone away? The 75% of them that started weren't there anymore. And can you imagine what it must have been for them to come out and see what was happening? Not only were they speaking in these tongues, this xenolalia, but they're seeing tongues of fire and the sound of the wind. You imagine them looking around for that. But then after, after they had experienced that to a degree for a little while, Peter stands up and said, this is that. You imagine what that must have been like to feel that? Not just to receive it, but to recognize we did what Jesus told us to do. We did what the angels admonished us to do. We were faithful there, and then God did this. There wasn't any way those people in that upper room could have made any of that stuff happen. How do you manufacture fire on somebody's head? How do you cause the sound of the wind to come? How do you cause individuals who'd come from all corners of the, of the known world start speaking in languages and then others hear in their own language the, the glory of God? You can't make that happen. But it is a wonderful thing to say, we obeyed God. We were privileged to partner with him without any sense of pride. But there's a sense of fulfillment, isn't there? There's a sense of fulfillment. It cannot go over into pride, but that doesn't mean you ignore it. It's kind of like you feel this in other ways. Like if you see uh, children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews do something that is really exceptional, and you feel, wow, look at that. I didn't do that, but I sense how great that is. And you feel that sense of euphoria to see God move in that way is an incredible thing it defies the ability to explain it and so we we recognize that as we're walking with god we may wait and we may wait but yet faithful and then you see god saying it's time and you got to feel that you got to sense it it is a suddenly yes it is a suddenly but there are those who hear what God said as he said, I'm going to first whisper it to my friends, my prophetic friends. I'm, well, I'm going to do a thing, but I'm first going to whisper it to them. The scripture says that. Read it in Amos. And so it's a wonderful thing to be able to, to sense that happening. It's kind of, you think about it, the disciples gathering the loaves and fishes from that little boy after they've scanned the crowd, or those servants who were filling those water pots with water. Nobody else in the place knew what was going on. Nobody else in that wedding knew, okay, guess what's coming? The, the wine out of the washing pots is coming. That's going to be great. They didn't have an advanced copy. None of those thousands out there in that wilderness knew, hey, we're going to eat a little boy's lunch today. They, they had no idea. But there were people who obeyed and gathered that knew when that started happening, this is God. 
And we were privileged to be able to obey and do the necessary part, but the miracle is all God. There's a wonderful feeling in that. But yet, to me, the greatest feeling is to have heard from God as he whispered and to say, yes, and then to do it even though it looks like utter nonsense. That's a great feeling. It's, uh, it's an indescribable feeling to, have, to know that God has spoken. He that has an ear, let him hear. To let your ear hear what God is saying to his ecclesia. That is a miracle. And then to hear it is a miracle. And then to do what he says is a miracle. Whatever The famous Council of Mary, whatever he says to you, do it. To do it is a miracle. But then to see God move is par excellence. That is amazing. And that's the privilege of walking through that miracle moment with God when he first starts speaking and you, are, you don't have any reason to be doing what it is he's asking you to do. There's nothing in it for you in the natural. You know, you don't have any other motive. You know, how often in people, okay, what's in it for me? Yeah, I'll do this, but, you know, don't hold back now. You've got to convince me. If, if I do this and this, then this will be. Too often, that's the, that's the folly of the faith. Yeah, I'll give, but I want the hundredfold. Tell me a little bit more about that hundredfold. You know, convince me. Say it in 50 different ways so that I'll be willing to come up and give. I, but I've got to see what's coming. You know, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. What is that in nine hand? I just have this little bit of meal. My son and I are going to eat it, and then we're going to keel over. No, first go and make a fire and make me a cake, and then, then you eat. Well, what's in it for me? Did you ever hear the woman say, what's in it for me? No, I don't see that anywhere. Even in some of those progressive Bibles, I don't see it anywhere. It's, it's not there. The what's in it for me is in the obedience. The what's in it for me is in the privilege of hearing prophetically. The what's in it for me, that is the essence. And that's the treasure that God would, would be willing to speak to us. That God would be willing to say, I'm going to do this. Will you, will you join me? Will you walk with me in it? That's the miracle. And so when we focus on that as being the true miracle, and that is the true miracle, when the natural miracle manifests itself, yes, it's glorious. But it doesn't compare to the still small voice. It just doesn't. Because God's not in the wind. And he's not in the breaking of the rock. He's in the still small voice. That's the miracle. And he's in that mantle that you wrap around your head and don't forget that he's given you. That's the miracle. And that you're standing in the doorway to the cave. You're standing in the egress and the entrance point. You're standing there at that point of Peretz. That's the miracle. That's where God is. The outward, great. Great. 
But the real miracle is to walk with him. So when God says it is a cheerful feast, he's already said, uh, he's spoken about the, the Sasson moment. But now he says, this is a kairos, so you better get with it. So what kind of a cheerful is it? Now, we've studied about this before. Um, we've talked about Tob in a number of different ways. And we've said, and this is true, that the Tob is the eternal purpose of God. It's the right way, as opposed to the raw. You know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the Tob and the raw. And, and we have said, and it is true, that we need to be following the Tob. So this is the kind of feast that this is. It's a Tob Kairos moment. Now, let's go a little bit deeper based upon what we know Tob means as to the, there are five basic principles of Tob in the Old Testament ideal. And, and essentially, Tob, yes, is the purpose of God, but it is harmonious, it is unified function, and it's agreement. So Tob is really that you have come into an alignment with meaning. You've come into alignment with the way things ought to be, and you are unified in that. You are in harmony with that. So yes, the tobe is the purpose of God, but that generates this extended defining of how you should appreciate his purpose, and you should make it a point of agreement within you that you are unified regarding that. You are in harmony with that as a function. And that further clarifies the difference between that and Ra. Because Ra says, oh, well, there's this over here too. You know, there, there's this and this. And we just want to go out and roam and find and be our own God. Well, there's no unity in that. There's no harmony in that. That's every man for himself. Ali, Ali, Infri, you know, you just go out and do what you want. But Tob says, I recognize this is what God wants, and I am in accord with it. I don't want anything else. I am in harmony with this. This is where I gain my true identity. This is unity, me and God. And that's the essence of how we appreciate and function within the purpose of God. That is Tob. And now it's interesting, too, that in the, um, um, God is so poetic. What, what a poetic author he is with his word. But in the languages of the, of the people surrounding the Jewish people, whether it was um, any, of the, any of the language bases from Babylon all the way through over um, throughout uh, the land of the ites, um, the word that they use for salt is not tobe. And why would that be? Because salt was an entity to itself. 
You put salt in anything, and that thing stops being what it originally was. And Jesus warned about the salt losing its unique identity. And so I just think it's interesting that the, the whole idea of um, the whole idea of Tob as being you embrace this identity and you become that. Um, <laughs> the people of the land said, "Well, what can we call this stuff that we know what we know would be salt? What we call that? Well, it's not Tob. You, 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 it, it. No matter what you do, it's it's going to change whatever it is that that you put it in." And you get that in your mouth, you're going to know it. It can't be confused with anything else. I just think that's kind of an interesting thing. So there are five facets that Tobe impacts. And, and I thought it was interesting. I was trying to put it together from Sunday school this morning in the writing of Peter, those five things you should not be doing. But I, you know, anything with a fivefold, you can just... It's kind of mental crossword puzzles in your head. I don't know if you do that or not, but I, I try to line everything up with fivefold, and you, you probably do too. So the five areas. First of all, tobe is used in practical things, like material things, economical things. So they would speak about the tobe when it came to finance, or material holdings, and and it was, you know, this is your target. This is your goal. And if you want to hit that so that you have a success in this area, you have to be unified. You have to be in accord. You have to absolutely commit yourself to this, and if you do, it's very likely that you will have success. So Tobe was used with the practical. Secondly, Tobe was used to describe something that was desirable, something that was pleasant either to the taste, pleasant to the eyes, pleasant in some way that would make people want to have whatever it is that is so pleasant. And you know, one of the things that I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed many things with our connection with our French brothers and sisters, particularly those uh, French-speaking folks from France, because they, they seem to cherish certain facets. I'll just speak in culinary pursuits or things that you would eat um, uh, that, are, that are really French, and they do that without compare. If you're going to have a baguette, it's got to be this way, and it can't be any other way. And I've joked with them about how sometimes I'm at uh, Albertsons or something, and they don't do this a whole lot anymore. Remember they used to get on the mic, hello, Albertson shoppers. You know, today at our bakery we have uh, French bread. It's just been baked. You know, somebody will say that. Thank you for shopping at Albertsons. Well, you can go over there and you see this big loaf, which really isn't French bread. <laughs> and you take it home and you eat it, you know, it's fresh, but it is not French bread. It is not French bread. No, 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 no. It's not. 
It, they may call it French bread, but it's not French bread. Even croissants. I've joked with Luke and Sylvie, you fly American Airlines, they'll, they'll come through because you'd have the all-night flight. It's about uh, 6 in the morning, and the lights will come on. They'll say, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be coming through the aisles with the cart and be banging into your knees, so everybody just wake up right now. And then they'll start bringing you this food. And American Airlines brings something that looks like a croissant. It's more akin to a boomerang, but it looks like a croissant. But it is not a croissant. I mean, you, you bite into it. The bottom is usually as hard as shoe leather, and it doesn't have really any flavor. And you think, you take one bite of it, and you think, you know, I'm kind of hungry, but that is not worth the calories. I mean, I'm just not going to put it in my mouth. Now, something that is worth the calories, you watch me. I'm like a, I'm like a, a straw in a whirlwind. I mean, I'll eat that, but phew, that's not a croissant. So Tobe is really being what you say you are, enjoying the real and the true and the pure, and it makes it desirable. It makes it what you want, and that's a second way that Tobe is used throughout the scripture, but it really does indicate what the purpose of God is. The third is, uh, is in a measure of, of quality and purity and an expensive capacity. So like if you had uh, incense or gold or some other precious jewel, uh, Someone who is an aficionado of that could look at that and say, yeah, this isn't a ripoff. This isn't, you know, it's kind of sometimes you go to the store and you're buying coffee and you see them advertise Kona and you think, oh, man, that that's a good price for for Kona coffee. It obviously came from Hawaii. And then you take you take the bag of beans and you look and you say there's like two percent Kona coffee in this. The rest of it is from God knows where. It's an amalgam of something else. We just call it Kona, but it really isn't that. But then you get the real thing, and you think, whoa, you can tell that when you smell it. You can tell it when you sip it. It, it, is, it is pure. And, and so uh, the third capacity for, for Tobe is that it is the real, and it's in harmony. It's, it's all there in the real. The fourth has to do with morality, and, and actually the fifth is philosophy. So those two things, morals and philosophy. Philosophy is the way you really think and you process, but morals are the integrity of how you live. And Somebody that is a morally upright person is not putting on a show. They're the same person right here with the mic standing down here testifying as they are in the afternoon when they're in their skivvies and they're watching TV over a TV dinner. You know, <laughs> it's the same person. Do I even have TV dinners anymore? Man, that was a, that was a revelation. When TV dinner, some of you, some of you youngsters don't remember that. Of course, we don't. Imani, 
<laughs> you don't remember TV dinners. How do you handle a hungry man? The man handlers. And they'd bring out this big Salisbury steak, which was also very often like shoe leather. And you had this little blob of mashed potatoes and then a little bastion of gravy and some corn that was almost like BB pellets. And, you know, it's all there in this metal tray. You stick it in the oven, and, man, Mom doesn't have to cook anymore. All she had to do was go to the, the, fried, the freezer section, get that thing, put it in the oven, bring it out, put it on the TV tray, and there you go. Bonanza's ready to come on. Boy, Bev, did you ever eat TV dinners? Yeah, then they had all kinds of them, and everybody made them. Stouffer's made them. Everybody made them. Oh, I've had so many TV dinners. The worst was fried chicken because it wasn't fried chicken anymore. It may have been at one time. It was more like a rubber chicken. You take a bite of it. You have to go back and sharpen your teeth up at the wheel before you can get through it, you know. Mom, this is hard. Eat it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, you know, the thing, though, is that um, TV dinners were really, they were food, but they, they, really, they really weren't. They kind of were, but they weren't. And um, so whether you're sitting there, you see, you almost forgot why I brought that illustration up. It's the same guy or the same woman who's here at their workplace as when they're sitting in their house eating a TV dinner. Their morals, their integrity is sure. And that's a part of Tob. It's not just reading a scripture like a Pharisee. It's that you live that scripture and it is part of you. The purpose of God is part of you. And it forms the core of who you are. And you think that way. Again, we refer back to Sunday school. Let, let this be. Let th this be the way you think. Don't think that way. Don't do that thing. You, you think this way. And your philosophy is based upon, I'm going after the purpose of God. So throughout the, the accumulation of times that Tob is used to describe everything, from Joseph's behavior in the prison to uh, on down through the line, it's always about a pure, harmonious um, unity and devotion to what God's purpose is. And your desire for it to be not just 5%, oh yeah, that's God's purpose, 5%, that it all would be there. Your kingdom come, and I mean really come. Let your kingdom come. And it, it kind of goes back to, we, we spoke about Pentecost they were all one place in one accord. That's Tob. You're, you're in agreement with the purpose of God. So cheerful feast is what God's saying to these folks. What for them, what was the Tob for them? Well, they were all in Babylon. God, God's time of those 70 years was coming to a quick close. And they... They needed to go back and establish what God wanted. The jury's out as to how much they really did over the years. But they needed to go back and establish his purpose in Jerusalem for their people. And so that's what they were agreeing for. So they were getting ready for that. And the, the cheerful moment, the moed, the kairos moment, was that it had come. 
So get ready. The messianic moment was there. So get ready. But it is focused on the tobe. All of you be in accord. All of you devote yourself to the same mission, the same pneumatikos meat, the same pneumatikos bread. And I just think it's interesting over the past few years, and again, this was referenced in the Sunday school class, um, in the past few years, how many alternatives have been spoken? How many uh, seducing pathways? You know, we still love the Lord, but, you know, your, your narcissistic devotion to this calling God has given you, it really is hubris on your part. So we're going to go over here and do this, and shame on you for not coming with us. You say you're committed to the truth of God. Well, what about my truth? Everybody has a truth. God's truth is everywhere. Well, that's not unity. That's a, that's a perverted form of disunity. That's not unity. That's everybody scrambling for the door. It's a bum's rush for something that's destruction. Wide is the way that leads to destruction. And so... The tobe of God has been, in, in this prophetic moment, uh, has been building up to a visitation that we're about to enter into. We're already enjoying it with the Lord. And this is the key point, enjoying that, having that anticipation uh, of what God, God's promise that we've believed for and that he's shown in vision and dream. It's, it's about to be blown wide open. The visitation just going to be seen in ways that uh, when we see it, we're going to be amazed because eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of any person. The glorious things that God has reserved, we have an inkling of it, and we're in agreement for it. But, but when we see it, it's going to be amazing. But you see this attempt to divert, this, uh, this attempt to split this attempt to bring disunity, those are all, by their very, the very nature of the defining of them, an attack against Tob, because Tob is unity. Tob is accord. Tob is the, the common idea of what God's purpose is, but it's not just God's purpose, as glorious as that is. It's us getting on board with it and us being in harmony with it, in every fiber of our being, being in alignment with it, and being happy to be that. That's our identity. That is, that is our joy and our delight. And that's the essence of Tob. So yes, it is the purpose of God, but the way it was played out in the Scripture was aligning in everything you do, being an indication of that. That's the essence of Tob. That's how Tob functions among us. And that's why they use that word to describe financial blessing, the favor of the Lord, all through, because they're saying, you know what, we learned this about the Tob, and we're displaying that in regard to this. What better descriptive could you find? So we come to this moment, and it is a cheerful feast. It is a kairos moment in God. It's a messianic moment. We're walking on holy ground right now. And so we need to say with the Lord of hosts, let's 
shake ourselves. Let's Let's align ourselves. Let us be done with lesser things. Let us, let us commit full bore because this is what God is saying. He's about to shake the earth in ways beyond anything we've seen. And the realm is going to be uh, empowered in glorious ways that God has reserved for this hour. So it is a cheerful feast. It's all about the tobe. Let's align ourselves with it, and let's recognize the Kairos moment that God has brought us to, and let's expect the messianic visitation that we have been anticipating, that we have been looking to, that we have been asking God for, because he wants that. Ask of me, he says. And so when we are in the middle of this seventh month, God's Spirit is with us. And we need to prophetically act like it. This isn't normal times. This, it, it, you, uh, hey, if anybody, even in the world, if anybody had any idea that the times we're living in are normal, <laughs> I don't know what world you're living in. I mean, Anything I hear about, I'm thinking, that's crazy. This, look at that. This darkness and gross darkness, yeah, we're seeing it. It's everywhere. Look at, it's not global warming. It's, it's God saying, it's time. <laughs> Truly. The signs are everywhere. Signs in the heavens, signs in the earth beneath. We're seeing them. And God is moving now, and he's about to move. So he says, particularly in this seventh month, let's expect and let's believe and let's obey. So I'm, I'm just grateful that here we are in July, this seventh month, and God has given us as saints in this church an assignment that in all the years we've been walking in this kind of fast of feasting with all the things we've done, we've never done what we're doing this month. We've never taken a whole month and just bit by bit let the Spirit guide us through aspects of this command and then come in agreement in just, just to pray in alignment with with specific things that his spirit is revealing. And, and I'm grateful for that. I am so expectant. God is so good to us. But let's, let's, uh, let's embrace this moment. Let's embrace it because it is a prophetic, it is a prophetic time. And I, uh, I'm so grateful to be able to walk this with, with each of you. And we, we're so grateful to be able to be in alignment with our saints network, brothers and sisters, who are fellow saints. I, I, I'm always amazed um, when, when we're able to gather with brothers and sisters who we haven't seen in a while. And, you know, I, I mentioned last Sunday I was in Arizona. It had been it had been two years since I'd been out there. Time just, boom, went by. But it was as if 
we hadn't been apart at all. I mean, we just immediately started praying together, and the Spirit of the Lord moved and began to, to do the things that are so divine, that are throne things, you know? <laughs> and and I'm, I'm just always so blessed by that. We'll experience that in a couple of months when all these folks coming back into this precious place who we haven't seen in a long time, all of a sudden it'll be like, you, wow, <laughs> this is different, but it's the same. It's new, it's wonderful, but yet it's so part of the core of who we are. All of us are marching to that same beat that is generated from the throne of God. And so we're going to have a time of, uh, of worship. I don't know where Katie, she's come straight from the Methodists, and now she's here with us. <laughs> she's doing double duty today. Um, we, uh, we're going to enter into a time of expression before the Lord. And I just ask that wherever you are, whether you're in this house or whether you're joining us from some place, uh, some precious place around the world, Let's all come before the throne and let's embrace this privilege that we have to partner with God. Amen. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that it continues to speak wonderful, precious truths. We love your word. You are the living word. You are our God. You breathe fresh things from your word continually to us, and what a treasure it is. Thank you for this prophetic pathway that we're enjoying in you. Help us to do everything that you're requiring. And I ask you, Father, before we begin to sing or however the worship uh, pathway leads us, I ask for the people who are serving you, these precious saints, Whatever it is that they need, we release that measure of provision to them right now. Wherever you are at this moment, in this house or in countless numbers of houses around the world, there's something that you have believed God for. Our message has been about seeking the kingdom and his righteousness. That will always be our primary message. But we also recognize that you promised God those who would do that you would add whatever we need. And I ask you, Father, that you would add, supply, strengthen, heal, do whatever is needed. You promised that. And I bless your people with that. And I thank you for it. For I ask it in Jesus' name. But now, Lord, guide us in this time of worship. And we thank you for it. Hallelujah. Amen.